Well, good morning. It's nice to be with you, albeit electronically rather than in person this morning. Uh, although I'm not quite sure whether I wouldn't have sooner have been at Norwich Cathedral this morning, uh, unless you think I've gone a little bit high church. I don't know whether you saw the tweet that they put out a few days ago, uh, and you forgive the rather low-tech approach, but the tweet said this, Although we have just completed our last public evening service for the next four weeks, we are still open daily, providing space for silliness, reflection, and prayer. Well, I guess if they'd proofread it, they would have put stillness rather than silliness, but it made me smile and perhaps wonder whether our churches would be a bit better off if we had a bit more silliness in them. Dangerous thing I know for a speaker to say, but I wonder if you can remember what I spoke about the last time I was with you, probably the best part of a year or so ago now, because I was supposed to come in March just after the lockdown happened and that was cancelled. But when I came about a year ago, we were looking at the story of Dorcas. And one of the things that I mentioned there was that an important part of that story were the two men whom the church sent to fetch Peter in order that he could perform that miracle of bringing Dorcas back to life again. These two men, not mentioned by name, we don't know anything about them, but they played a very important role in that story. And you know, when you look through the Bible, there are lots and lots and lots of people, what I call the little men of the Bible, little people of the Bible, people that sometimes aren't even mentioned by name or get one or two mentions, and yet they play an important role in so many facets of Scripture. In fact, Peter and Paul often give thanks as to all that they've done and the way that they've been encouraged by some of these people. And I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up some of these people, people that we don't know an awful lot about, like Clement and all sorts of other named people, and find out a little bit more about them. But at the beginning of lockdown, when I couldn't sleep one evening, rather than count sheep, I got out my Bible and I read through Acts and some of the epistles, and I started to make a note of these people. I got to over a hundred before I eventually dropped off and woke up to find my Bible there on my lap the next morning. People that we don't learn an awful lot about, but they're there not by accident in Scripture, but they're there to teach us a lesson. And one of the people, well, this guy is actually mentioned five times in Scripture, but the person that I wanted to speak to you about this morning is a man called Tychicus. And in uh, Ephesians 6, verse uh, 21, it says this about him, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. You see, in those five references in Scripture, and maybe people say in 2 Corinthians 8, there's a, a sixth reference, because it talks there about a brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. People think that was perhaps a reference to Tychicus as well. We don't know, but let's say there were five mentions in Scripture of him. And we don't know an awful lot about him. He doesn't say what he looked like, what job he did. doesn't say how old he was. In fact, Scripture doesn't record anything that he said at all. I've often got a picture of him of being rather short. I suppose a name like Tychicus it's sort of Titch is perhaps a nickname that we would have given him. I don't know whether he would have been like that at all. Much we don't know about him. It's thought that he probably came from Asia Minor, possibly from Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, because he's mentioned in the same phraseology as Trophimus, who was from that way. But we don't know an awful lot about him. And yet in the five mentions in Scripture, we find out five very important things about Tychicus. 
things weren't words that he said, but things that he was, things that he did, which would be good for us to learn from and put into practice in our lives. And the first one was this, is that he was a trusted messenger. We read that Paul gave him the letters to the Philippians and the Colossians and to Philemon and Timothy. He was a trusted postman. It was the days before email, days even before Royal Mail. He couldn't just you know, write it out and put a stamp on it and send it off to them. But he could trust uh, Tychicus to deliver those letters. It's often been said that the two greatest abilities that we need as a Christian are availability and dependability. And Tychicus certainly had that. He was dependable and he was available. I was watching Graham Norton a few months ago and they had uh, Chelsea and Hillary Clinton on there and they were writing a book together. And uh, Chelsea was laughing at her mum because Hillary Clinton, I suppose it's typical of a woman of her age, preferred to write everything in longhand by using a pen. And then she used to put it in the post and send it to Chelsea to proofread and then upload to their manuscript. And she used to say to her mum, why don't you use email? She said, I prefer a good old-fashioned pen and paper. Well, they didn't have much choice back in those days, did they? But Paul knew when he wrote these, he could trust Tychicus to deliver the message. Leonard Bernstein, who was the late conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, when he asked what was the most difficult uh, instrument to play in the whole of the orchestra, said this, second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violins, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. You know, and I praise God for those in our churches who are prepared to be trusted messengers, to be faithful in what they're called to do, who are happy not to be perhaps up the front or in first place, but to be those who could be almost what we call sidekicks. You know, and it's great in churches and DCYC and other organizations that flourish because of those who are faithful in their jobs. And secondly, we also read as well that he was a faithful minister or a faithful preacher. Again, forgive the low-tech approach, but um, a few months ago we went to a charity meeting at um, Ivy Bridge Methodist. And uh, when they were having a break for a cup of coffee partway through, I wandered around looking at some of the memorial tablets on the wall. And there was this tablet there which rather intrigued me. It was for the memory of William Sherwell, the first Methodist in Ivy Bridge. It says he was for nearly 36 years a laborious, useful local preacher. And in fact, it records that in his 63rd year, on Sunday the 12th of June 1842, he died whilst on his way to preach the gospel one Sunday evening. Well, I'm guessing perhaps the word laborious has changed its meaning in the last 156 years. Perhaps you think you've heard plenty of preachers who are laborious, I don't know. But he says he was a laborious and useful preacher. I think it meant that he was a faithful preacher. And you know, that's exactly what Tychicus was. He was a faithful preacher. You know, sometimes when I go and preach and I come home, I'm asked how many were there and how did it go and was it a successful time. You see, God isn't interested in judging our sermons in the same way as other people because he's not interested in how things have gone, but he's interested in our faithfulness in the proclamation of his word. 
In fact, what do we often say we want to hear at the end of our life? We want to hear him say to us, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And it's interesting, isn't it, those verses that we read together, that it says that when Paul sends him to him, he's going to be able to tell you everything, to share the news, yes, but also at the end of the day to perhaps elaborate on what Paul has written. And I'd like to think that when perhaps the letters were taken and they were read, they would say to Tychicus, perhaps you could explain a bit more what Paul meant. What is he behind that? You know, and I may be fanciful and when I get to heaven I may prove to be wrong, but I like to think that perhaps Tychicus was actually the scribe as well who wrote this down. And perhaps Paul would perhaps recite a couple of verses to him and afterwards perhaps would say to Tychicus, perhaps you could just repeat that to me. And maybe it would be something like chapter 1 and verse uh, 9 and 10. And Paul has said he had made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times would have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Christ. And, you know, perhaps Paul and Tychicus would say, Hallelujah, what a wonderful God we've got. And Tychicus could elaborate and perhaps add to what Paul was saying and explain what he had in his mind. What a wonderful God we worship. Perhaps he was even the first person to preach on some of these passages that are so familiar to us today. He was a faithful minister. But also he was something else as well. He was a dear and our loyal friend and brother. Well, why do I say that? Because the first mention of Tychicus it is Acts 20, verse 4. He's there with Paul on his way from Corinth to Jerusalem to deliver the gifts that are referred to in Romans 15, verses 25 and 26. Then the last mention of Tychicus is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. And he's with Paul on his second imprisonment in Rome. And he's going to send him to Ephesus so that Timothy can be freed up to visit. You see, he's a faithful friend. He's there at the beginning and he's there at the end. There's that lovely little verse in Ecclesiastes 4. It's often used at weddings, but I think, you know, it's just as applicable to friendship as well. It says that two are better than one, for if one of them falls, the other can pick him up. And, you know, there's an awful lot of that, of being a consistent friend. We only need to look in the Old Testament in the example of David and Jonathan. Christian friends are incredibly important. In fact, during lockdown, I was sent a, a little uh, a card with a message on it that said this, a friend will be in three places, in front of you to encourage and to cheer you on, behind you to have your back, and next to you so you're not walking alone. And you know, that's incredibly true of us as Christians as well, isn't it? Because we go through difficult times. I remember some years ago when I was a student in Cardiff, and we used to go to the house of a guy called Peter Elwood on a Sunday evening after church. And one of the ladies there, or one of the, and the students, was bemoaning the fact that perhaps at the church we went to, the women didn't have a greater role to play. And Mrs. Elwood piped up and she said, oh, she said, it's not a bit like that at all. If you look at our church, she said, more than half the people who attend there are ladies. And she said, a lot of you men just haven't got a clue what we ladies go through. She said, when I had the children and I had a bit of postnatal depression, 
And then perhaps when they got a bit older and I found them difficult to deal with. My husband was at work all day long. And perhaps when I got a bit older and I went through the menopause. You see, things that perhaps men could never understand, but I could go to a woman who was going through the same sort of thing and I could put my arm around her and I could encourage her and say that I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know that can be true for us as men as well. Perhaps when times come of redundancy or debt or things that we feel that we can't open up and share with other people about. But to have Christian friends who can come along beside us and encourage us and to be faithful and true and to speak the truth in love is so important. Because sometimes people are good at speaking the truth, but if you don't have love it can be rather harsh and critical. And sometimes people speak in love but don't speak the truth and that is not at all helpful. But it's important that we have good Christian friends. I don't know whether I've told you this before, but I'm over 50 now, so I can repeat myself. But my sister Mary and I were brought up in very similar ways. And yet she doesn't go to church, although she would still call herself a Christian. She doesn't go to church and doesn't actively live out her any sort of faith. And I said to my dad one day, you know, what is the difference between Mary and I? And I was rather surprised by his answer. His answer was this. It was the friends that you had when you were teenagers. You see, I had good Christian friends. And then when I went through my time as a bit of a rebellious teenager, I had friends who were prepared to tell me I was being an idiot. You know, I wouldn't listen to mum and dad, but friends could tell me. And they encouraged me still to continue to go along to church, even when I didn't feel like it. Yet my sister Mary had friends who used to encourage her out to the Verbia Manor on a Saturday night that she was late home and wouldn't be up in time for church. And on a Sunday, rather than go to church to go off to car boot sales or whatever else, it was the friends that we had. Christian friends are incredibly important. And Paul, you know, was just like us. There were times when he'd been discouraged, times when he'd been down. And yet here was his friend Tychicus who could encourage him. He was faithful. He was there from the beginning to the end. He was a loyal friend. But also something else as well. It says there, what he says he's going to do in the end of verse 22 that we read, that he may encourage you. Isn't that wonderful? Ephesians 3 verse 13, Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. It's that Greek word, you know, it's a bit like if we get discouraged, you know, as though we've lost energy. We need someone to come along beside us and to encourage us. And it's a bit like sort of having a jump leads, you know, on a cold winter's day when your car won't start. What do you do? Well, you could catch the bus to work or take your wife's car, but that wouldn't go down too well when you came home. So what you do is you can get out the jump leads, you connect it to one battery and onto your battery, and it takes juice from the other battery and fires yours into life. And so you can get moving. And that's, you know, exactly what this feeling is in this sense as well, that there is an encourager, that he encourages the saints. And isn't that a wonderful thing to do? To encourage us. There's another man in Scripture, you know. People often say, if you could have anybody from Scripture in your church, who would you have? Abraham or Moses or Paul or Peter. Jesus would be cheating, wouldn't it? And I often say, you know, the person I like more than anybody else would be Barnabas. Because, you know, that was a nickname. His proper name was Simon. But he had that name Barnabas because he was the son of encouragement. When I played rugby, I had the nickname Honey because they used to think I looked like the honey monster. Well, that wasn't really much of a nickname, was it? Particularly if you get called honey by a six-foot-six hairy second row. But, you know, he had the name 
encourager. He was the son of encouragement. Tychicus was somebody who was encouraged. I know that's what we need in our church, I think. People that can encourage us to come along beside us. There's a cartoon that was appeared in one of the Christian magazines a few months ago. And there's a picture there of a, a vicar who is pushing the boat with his church in it with a punt and he's going for all that he's worth and it's not going very fast at all and in the picture next to it there's a vicar stood there with a megaphone to his lips encouraging those in the boat to row for themselves and you can tell by the ripples that are being drawn which is going fastest encouragement is a tremendously important thing but not only was he an encourager of the saints but also says as well that he was a servant of the lord and you know this underpins everything that we do you see he doesn't say i am paul's servant but i am the lord's servant you know and that's what we need to be for what matters more than anything else is the relationship that we have with the lord i found particularly a lot of first lockdown period very difficult suddenly i wasn't going out preaching i wasn't going to committee meetings and all that running around and doing things for the Lord suddenly came to a very abrupt stop. You know, and I had to think about myself and say, look, see, what matters nor not what I do for the Lord, but it's my relationship with him. See, Tychicus wasn't doing it because he was a friend of Paul, but he was doing it because of the relationship that he had with the Lord. George Eliot, in that book, Middlemarch, says this, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. He wasn't lauded for what he did, but he had that relationship with the Lord that was so important. And that's what we're called to do, to be servants of the Lord. David Brooks in his book The Road to Character it was recommended in one of the uh, Christian podcasts I listened to. I got hold of the book. Uh, part of it I found extremely boring but one of the interesting things that he did say was this is that in our lives sometimes we make the mistake of spending so much time on what he calls resume virtues. You know, the things that would look good and impressive on a CV. Getting the good grades in our exams. Getting a good degree having good jobs, perhaps having a nice house and a nice car. But he says what matters more is what he calls eulogy virtues. See, because when you get to the end of your life and somebody stands up at your funeral, they're not going to talk about how many A-levels you got or what degree you got or what even what sort of car you drove, but they're going to talk about what sort of person you are. And it's the characteristics that we're going to be remembered for. And Tychicus, that he can remember him, is that he was a servant of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? We don't read a word that he said, yet those five mentions in Scripture say an awful lot about us. He was a trusted messenger, a faithful preacher, a loyal friend, an encourager of the saints, and a servant of the Lord. There's a little American poem that says this, Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And if everybody does something, everything will get done. See, I'm pleased about the little people in Scripture, because as a result of that, the Lord's work gets done. There are many lessons that we can learn 
I hope these few thoughts this morning from Tychicus will encourage you. If you feel like a little person this morning who doesn't matter very much, but all that we do, all that we contribute is there to help the work of the Lord and his will being fulfilled. Amen.